you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. And now, move the sticks. 10 takeaways from week 11 with Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, and Rhett Lewis. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks, presented by Zaxby's DJ Bucky Rhett back with you. How are we doing, boys? Good, man. Great weekend. We had a chance to see some of these teams separate from each other so then we got a set of contenders and we also have a set of pretenders we'll see how it plays out down the stretch yeah i think there's going to be some games where we start to learn a little bit of the identity of some of these teams and and for a couple of them maybe their identity going forward like a team with the saints and Taysom hill starting a quarterback now could be changing a little bit uh, kind of interesting to watch some of these uh, teams that have to replace some players including at the quarterback spot here moving forward and how that might affect them as they make a run towards the playoffs yeah, we've got a lot of interesting quarterback storylines yeah. to follow, including one peculiar benching of a first-round rookie, which we'll get into that in just a minute. But let's start with the Sunday night game. Easy takeaway here. Mahomes, magnificent again. Darrell Williams, the lone setback. Raiders rush four. Mahomes retreats. Steps up into the pocket. He throws it late for the end zone. Kelsey wide open. Touchdown! Kansas City! Why not? Mahomes 
again to take the lead on a 22-yard touchdown pass. Mitch Holt is as good as it gets there. Uh, great call on that one. But look, this is a, a game where I thought the Raiders really played pretty perfect on offense. When you look at what they're able to do, they get over 30 points. Uh, their quarterback, Carl, gets hit one time. He plays a phenomenal game, making good decisions, throwing the ball accurately. Uh, the weapons between Aguilar and Waller making plays all over the field. They ran the ball physically with Josh Jacobs. And at the end of the day, Buck, all that being said, not enough. <laughs> Just not enough because you got a franchise quarterback and Pat Mahomes. And I think if you're the Raiders, you feel good about who you are and you know the identity of your team, but you feel bad because you're in a division with arguably the best quarterback in the game. And Pat Mahomes with 90 seconds left is too much time. And what he does is he does what the epitome of all franchise quarterbacks do. They break your heart at the end of games when you give them extra opportunities. The Raiders gave him one more opportunity. He cashed it in, and the Kansas City Chiefs are sitting pretty at the top of the AFC West. Yeah, and so like it leaves you wondering, right? Like, what else could the Raiders have done? And DJ, I know you're going to detail this final drive for the Chiefs yeah. for us on the aftermath here. You, you can't sit there and man coverage and expect to match up with every single one of the options that the Chiefs can roll out, right? I mean, Travis Kelsey is basically indefensible, uh, just a, so difficult from a matchup perspective too physical for a corner. He's too fast. He's too good in his routes for some of the safeties or even I certainly don't want to put a linebacker on him in that kind of situation. And then, you know, with Tyree Kill, he's the, you know, he's the ultimate equalizer, right? I mean, like he he could defeat just about any coverage, any person, any player. So like, what do you do? You're forced to play zone. And then, you know, you get into those those trouble spots that we saw the Raiders end up. So like, what is the solution for the Raiders in that type of scenario to better compete with the Chiefs. Well, the solution is you got to have some pass rushers. You got to be able to get home. Uh, that that's how you solve it, and that's how you try and get a win. I think when you look at the Black Friday coming up here, uh, shopping day, big shopping day for the Raiders on their on their list. The, the to do list is go get some pass rushers. They're not going to be able to do that now. You have to wait until the off season. But you can see they're they're getting closer. They beat the Chiefs once. Had a chance to beat them in this game. They've really closed that gap, and I think. Buck, if they can add some guys with some juice to complement Max Crosby, they've got one, but you're going to need a couple more if you're going to be able to, to get after this uh, Kansas City offense and come out of here with a win. You know, I think that's the thing. I think that's uh, the area where Mike Mayock and John Gruden, they have to focus on, like, really shoring up the bullpen of pass rushes because when you're be building your team to be the Kansas City Chiefs, you not only need to have starters that can get after it, so an inside rush and outside guy, but you have some have some guys off the bench because over time they throw it so much, they wear you down. You have to have more pass rushes. But I think we know where they're shopping uh, when it comes to the offseason. What we got next here, Buck? The Titans bully the Baltimore Ravens. At the 29 of the Ravens, Henry gets the carry running left. Henry to the 25, Henry to the 20, to the 15, to the 10, to the yes! oh yes, to yes, victory. yes, yes, touchdown Titans, as the Titans will run out of Baltimore with a shocker in OT. <laughs> a lot of excitement there for uh, Derrick Henry on his touchdown. I will say this, the Baltimore Ravens are one of the franchises that I think about, they kind of create images in your head when you go into facing them, the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're a rough and tumble group. The Tennessee Titans don't fear the Baltimore Ravens at all. And it started in the pregame when you see Mike Rabel and John Harbaugh and John Harbaugh and Malcolm Butler and some of the <laughs> players get into it. And then it just extended 
into the commitment that the Tennessee Titans showed to running the football. They basically did what the Baltimore Ravens do to a lot of teams. They wore them down, and in the fourth quarter, they knocked them out. Derrick Henry had 80-plus yards in the fourth quarter in overtime. After being relatively contained for most of the game, the size, the physicality, the toughness that the, Baltimore, that the Tennessee Titans showed against the Baltimore Ravens, it showed up in the late stages of the game, and it's one of the reasons why they were able to knock them out late. So look, Bucky, uh, we'll start from the Texan side, uh, the Titan side of things. I think you characterized it perfectly because uh, in the second half, particularly in the fourth quarter, they rose to the challenge. Uh, Ryan Tannehill had a perfect passer rating in the fourth quarter. He was, uh, I think he ended up with uh, just about 100 passing yards in the fourth quarter. A touchdown, no picks. Derrick Henry, you mentioned the, the yardage, seven and a half yards a pop in the fourth quarter. In overtime, that is being at your best when the game is on the line. And then you go back to the physicality of this thing, right? You talk about bullying the Ravens. You saw it with Derrick Henry and the and the walk-off winner in overtime. How about A.J. Brown, right, breaking four oh. tackles on that touchdown? That dude does not look like a receiver. He does not run like a receiver. He is a receiver only in title. Really good at catching <laughs> the football. I mean, like, that is – that is, to me, emblematic of the mentality and the mindset of the Titans that you were talking about right there. And then on the other side for the Ravens, DJ, I just I keep coming back to it. It sounds like a broken record, but I'm like, just something isn't right with the Ravens passing attack. And it really hasn't been since week one, especially in the last month or so when they haven't gotten above the 30 point mark, which is what they averaged points per game wise last season to lead the league in scoring offense. Uh, Des Bryant, by the way, caught his first pass since 2017. He led all Ravens receivers in receptions. Meanwhile, Marquise Brown's sitting here with three targets, zero catches. What gives? Well, we've talked about it. I mean, this was the analogy that we used last week, and that is it's the Abraham Lincoln offense. It's the top hat. You can go shallow on the outside. You can go vertical down the middle. It's just Abraham Lincoln's hat. That's what the, the passing chart looks like. So they're going to have to find ways to get more things involved in the middle of the field. Usually that's with tight ends. But I'd like to see, we were talking about this offline, Red, being able to get Marquise inside and let him work the seams. Because him being outside and vertical doesn't do anything for you because that's not where Lamar Jackson's very comfortable throwing the football. Um, The other thing I would add after watching this tape, uh, I I thought the Ravens, especially like Marcus Peters, he likes to peek and he likes to gamble a little bit. And I thought they caught him peeking. Uh, in the backfield, they were able to get him off balance a little bit, and that's where Corey Davis had some success against him. Uh, but this is a Baltimore team now. They're set up here with this Thursday night game, and as we're recording this, there's some news out there saying that they, uh, you know, they could have a COVID issue uh, with the Ravens where they could have some guys down, and there's just not enough time to get some of these guys back if that's what it looks like for a Thursday night game. Yeah. And it, look, the division's out of the way, in my opinion. The, the Steelers have that all but wrapped up. But you're fighting for your playoff life now. And, Buck, as I kind of get to you, actually, I think I've got the next one actually myself here. No, I know. no it's you. Yeah. Right? You're up next. Yeah, you're yeah. Up next. No, but to me, when you take away Yonda and, and you take away Ronnie Stanley Tough. and you take away you, – you end up making some moves. Boyle being out was your most physical tight end. They traded Hayden Hurst. This team doesn't look anything like the offense we saw last year, Red. No, you're absolutely right. And um, – you know, the uh, the COVID issue you're talking about, they're having multiple positive COVID-19 tests. They're shutting down their practice facility. And again, yeah. they are three days away from suiting up against the Steelers uh, on the Thanksgiving Not good. nightcap. Yeah, let's just hope that they can figure this thing out, that everybody's okay and that they're okay enough to end up still playing this game 
on Thanksgiving night. Okay, I'll get us to takeaway number three, and that is not a finished product, but Taysom can start. Hill will be under center here. Three receivers spread to the left. Now Traquan Smith motions. Hill fakes the handoff, looking to throw. Running out to his left, looking downfield. He's going to tuck it and run at the 10, the 5. Touchdown, Taysom Hill! Deuce, you get down in the red zone, and boy, he is a weapon. They had a spy on him, and he just simply outruns him. Well, you know, it's good to see that that part of Taysom Hill's game didn't leave the game plan for Sean Payton. Uh, He had two rushing touchdowns in this game, was still a big-time threat with the ball in his hands, running, using his athleticism. I'd like to see that. He had some really good throws in this game. And DJ, again, I know you're going to highlight a couple of those in an XO for us on the aftermath, 3 o'clock Eastern time over on NFL Network. But here's the question that I have. Why did people think that this was going to be a disaster? Like, why did people think that Taysom Hill starting for the Saints after he's been there for a few years now, I think since 2017, with... Sean Payton why did they think that Sean Payton was going to trot out a train wreck to start at quarterback uh, against this Atlanta Falcons team DJ we thought last year that he they might turn to Taysom Hill instead of Teddy Bridgewater when Drew Brees went down and that's because of some of the things that we'd seen Taysom Hill do in practice even if you go back and you look as crazy as it sounds you go back and look at some of those quarterback competitions you know like day in and day out he was beating Teddy Bridgewater he's got accuracy he can make some big time throws now did he struggle a little bit in this game at times yeah he was a little indecisive he held the ball a little long on a couple a couple throws he made some some really ugly deep throws one in particular to Emmanuel Sanders that actually ended up getting caught um, but uh, Mike Silver is going to tell us in the aftermath that he had a conversation with Sean Payton. He said he knew Taysom was going to be okay because after that he went over to the sideline and Taysom was walking up and down saying, hey, has anybody, has anybody ever seen an uglier deep ball than the one I just threw out there? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, look, there's plenty to work on for him, but um, I, this isn't yet a Tom Brady, Drew Bledsoe situation here for the Saints with Drew Brees still a couple of weeks out. But I don't think I, – I don't have a, a whole lot of doubt – that Taysom Hill can start in the Saints offense and they can win games. Yeah, Ray, I think I think the biggest concern was when you go all the way back with Taysom Hill and his, ex- his extensive history playing at BYU, he was a guy that wasn't like a great thrower. He was more of a runner than a thrower. Sure. And then when you think about all of the injuries and all of that other stuff that contributed to him being an undrafted free agent, it was hard to envision a guy who was over 30 years old right now kind of being the athletic playmaker. And I kind of liken him a lot to Josh Allen and the way the Buffalo Bills play with Josh Allen. I felt like Sean Payton did a lot of similar things. Quarterback design runs, some quarterback read game, some isolated throws where it's a really simple read where he could get it out and he could throw on time. He will have to continue to advance. But yeah, Sean Payton knows this guy and talking to people. Um, in that building, Sean Payton has a tremendous amount of confidence in Taysom Hill. So he was determined to make this work, and it certainly worked out against the Atlanta Falcons. The thing will be, how does Taysom Hill continue to evolve as teams get more film on him playing as a full-time quarterback? But it was a very solid and impressive performance. Yeah, I said last week, right, he was he was kind of destined to just be in that sidecar. I don't let him ever just ride the motorcycle. And now we get a chance. This is what we've wanted to see. We wanted to see, well, can he do it? Because you guys don't ever let him get out of that sidecar. Well, <laughs> it turns out the offense not only functions, it functions well. And I think there's a little bit of a bias when you talk about some incompletions. We said the same thing about Lamar Jackson when you had some of his misses can be bad. I mean, Taysom Hill skips one, you know, seven, eight yards, but it's an incompletion. It's just one incompletion. When you look at it on the whole, 
he, he was pretty accurate. He just has a couple that really get away from him. So he has a couple bad misses, but on the whole, I thought he was fairly accurate. And that athleticism doesn't just show up in the quarterback run game, but also shows up with him being able to extend plays within the pocket, to be able to slide, move, climb, and still be able to throw the ball down the field. I, I was impressed. He just didn't, at the first sign of pressure, look to take off and go. Yeah, um, I, I saw him kind of hang and maneuver within the pocket, and that to me was good to see, showing you some of that poise uh, that he possessed there. And, Buck, I'll get to you on this, because when you look at Drew Brees, that, that offense operates best when the ball is out, right? It is one, two, three, ball is gone. The longer you hold the ball with Drew Brees, the worse things are going to get. With Taysom Hill, it's like the opposite. I know he held the ball a little bit too long, took a sack here or there, but, man, Michael Thomas has got time to line up on the right and work all the way over across the field because Taysom Hill can buy you all that time. Yeah, it was really interesting because I wondered how – his starting at quarterback would impact the receivers, Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. And very early, it was apparent that they were targeting Michael Thomas. He was the primary read on a lot of throws. The other thing that showed up, Taysom Hill did a pretty good job of throwing the ball over the middle, meaning inside the numbers, those deep dig routes. He had a few different times, not only on time, but climbing in the pocket and kind of delivering it while he was on the move. And so as I think about this offense and I think about maybe what Sean Payton wants to do, he is going to incorporate this running game because when you go back and you look at the Saints, whenever they've been a team that has been able to make a long run in the postseason, it's because the running game was a big part of it. He adds a dimension to the running game that will allow them to get back to being that balanced but physical team that Sean Payton really, really wants. And, and DJ, yeah. last thing, go ahead, Red. Last thing I'll, I'll get to you uh, on this. You mentioned uh, Taysom. First inclination versus pressure was not to just tuck tail and run. He, by the way, seven of seven over 100 yards passing against the blitz, against the Falcons yeah. blitz. So he hung in there and threw some nice passes under pressure against uh, this Falcons team. And on the flip side, benefited greatly by a massive defensive effort from the Saints. I mean, eight, I think they had eight sacks in this game. By the way, Trey Hendrickson is tied for the league lead in sacks with nine and a half. He had two on Matt Ryan in this game. Well, we'll get to it another day on another podcast. Bucky can tell you how, how impressive those Trey Hendrickson sacks have been. We've had this conversation offline, Rhett, but it's a teaser. We'll save, we'll save that for another day. Uh, all right, we'll get to my uh, fourth takeaway here, and that is a bad idea to bail on Tua. Snap in the shotgun. Tua will be hit and dropped, and there's Bradley Chubb with a huge shot. Tua got hit right at knee level and is a bit slow to get up. Sixth sack of the game by the Broncos. Yeah, on that sack uh, right there, what you had was a miscommunication between Eric Flowers at the guard and you had Austin Jackson. They did not pass it off. It was a clean run through. One of the other sacks you had in that game was Austin Jackson just getting beat clean right off the snap by Bradley Chubb, who's it's great to see him healthy again uh, in the year that he's having there for the Denver Broncos. But, I, you know, I watched the tape, and what I saw when I watched it was Tua missing more throws than, you know, you would, you would like. I mean, he had some guys open. One, he climbs up in the pocket, extends. It's probably a touchdown. He overthrows it. Um, some other balls were, I thought he identified coverage. I thought he delivered the football where it was supposed to go. He just, he was off a little bit and had a handful of throws I think he'd like to have back. But I also saw offensive linemen that, as I mentioned, were, were having assignment busts. Offensive linemen having physical beats. I saw a ball hit the running back in the face that he dropped. I saw another drop down the field. So there were issues all over this team. I, w I did not watch that tape and say, oh, my goodness, Tua is holding this team back. He is clearly uh, the reason why they are not you know, doing better in this ballgame. He wasn't playing great, Buck, 
But I did not think at this point in time, with just a little bit of adversity, pulling him out of that situation was the right move. You made this move for the long term. I have a, and I have tremendous respect for Coach Flores and, and the decisions he's made, the job he's done with this team. I just I did not agree with this one. I, I want to see him try and work through some of those things. Well, that's the whole point for me, DJ. Like, I mean, if you put him in, it's the long term situation. He has to go through some struggles. And even though he was struggling, they're down 10 points. At some point, I want to see if my young quarterback can bring us back. That's part of what franchise quarterbacks have to do. And now what I think you've done is you've opened up another can of worms now because on the outside, the noise is, oh, Tua isn't really that good. They should have never made the move. Ryan Fitzpatrick should have continued on as the starter. And then you have all these questions that now seep back into the locker room. And for Tua, like, I don't think he's a fragile guy knowing him, but it has to mess with you now when he goes back out. Man, how short is my leash? Because yeah. the first sign of adversity, they bailed. I just don't know the rationale behind giving up on the young quarterback in the middle of a game like that when you're saying this is a guy that is a starting quarterback for your team. So I, I guess the, the devil's advocate part of this is, didn't they start moving the ball better with Fitzpatrick? I mean, if you're if you're in the thick of a playoff race, which they are, I mean, like they are in the playoff structure um, and they were coming into this game. If you're the head coach, if you're Brian Flores, don't you owe it to your team to do whatever you can, what you feel like is best to then, get your then team a you victory? Then why did you then why did you pull them in the first place? That's because what I mean. you didn't. You weren't thinking short term. You're thinking big picture, long term. That's why you made this decision. So you've know. gone I disagree. from big I disagree. picture, long term to now. Oh, why? I, I disagree. I think that the, that the move to Tua short term was Flores recognizing that Tua could give them the better shot and with the higher ceiling to win more games right now than Ryan Fitzpatrick ultimately could. And then in the framework of this game, it's the same exact situation. You're not also going long term here. Uh, when your quarterback is struggling, I think it, I think it also it, it's there's a little bit of accountability to it. No one player is above the struggle, right? Um, so you yeah, bring you don't Fitz- treat quarterbacks like you treat defensive line. No, it's, that, that, it's a true. Totally different deal. I, I get yeah, it, but totally but, but the the truth is in the results. I mean, they, the Dolphins' offense moved the ball better once Fitzpatrick came in there, started slinging it around against okay. this Vic Fangio complicated defense. I I just yeah. I get I feel like both of them, Flores was doing what he thought was best for his team to win the football game. Yeah, yeah, I mean, no, you, like, you, don't, you, you don't go ahead, Buck. I'll let you have that. No, no, like, it no, it's, 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 it's one of those things that, like, I get it because, like, DJ, to your point, um, we now go from long term to short term in the middle of a game. Yeah. Like, long term thinking is like, hey, this is for the franchise because, DJ, we've talked about this. You want to play the young quarterback this year, his rookie year, so now we know next year how we can best support him with the personnel that we can add to the team. I understand the playoff. They're out there dangling. It's a carrot that's dangling. Hey, we can win the division and those things. Well, if that was your mindset, then go with Ryan Fitzpatrick and just, you know, roll with him. But I think the yo-yo act at quarterback, I just don't think you can do it and win. Uh, There's a saying, when you have two quarterbacks, it means you have no quarterback. And if that's what you really feel like, then I think that's an indictment on either how you evaluated Tua when you made the move to elevate him to the starter and also how you look at Ryan Fitzpatrick when you didn't feel like he was good enough to get you over the threshold. Let me ask you, let me ask you this, Rhett. Yep. Conway, is Conway old enough to ride a bike? Yes. Okay, so let me just, let me just give you an analogy because we're all fathers here. So let me just give you this analogy. 
If anybody's listening to this has ever taught their kid how to ride a bike, let me tell you what you do not do when you're trying to teach your kid how to ride a bike. You do not ha- you start him on the training wheels, then you take the training wheels off. After the first time he falls over on the grass, you don't go, hold on, let me put these training wheels back on because you've had a little adversity. And I, I don't want you to try and work through that, so let me try and put these training wheels back on. That does you no good. It does you no good for the child. It does you no good for your team. To me, that makes absolutely no sense. He had a little adversity. Let him work through it. I, I get it. But ultimately, if it helps you win a football game, like at this point, if you're the three and seven Dolphins, let him work through it. But you're the six and three Dolphins here looking for win number seven. Like, go get it. Do whatever you have to go yeah, get it. But you're, you're, no, but you're thinking of quarters and you're thinking of individual games. I'm thinking of seasons. I'm thinking of years. I get I'm thinking it of for careers. The and I don't 100%. think this decision lines up with what's best for the rest of this season because, spoiler alert, we know what Ryan Fitzpatrick is. So yep. if you want to go down that road, I know what that looks like. By the way, they didn't win the game. Uh, secondly, to me, I, I want to do what's best for the rest of this season. Is pulling him out, letting him not work something through like this, good for him for the rest of the season? I don't think so. Let's see so what, I don't think it benefits you for the season or the yeah. or the career and, and for for a quarter. And he didn't even win the game. I mean, I, I don't know. It's not it's not it's not Drew Bledsoe. Let's not confuse I, Ryan Fitzpatrick with Drew Bledsoe. Here. I get it. I get it. And, look, and the last thing I'll say on it is I, I will reserve judgment until this ha- – if they're in a similar situation and then they start this thing, it's a weekly thing where at the first sign of real struggle, they're going to they're gonna throw Fitzpatrick back in there. Then I, I'm going to start jumping over to your camp. But right now, if it's, ju- if it's just in the framework of this game at this point right now, I, I get it at least. And that's, I'll leave it at that. All right. The, the last point because I'm going to – Oh, now it's the last The last word. Okay. If we're going to go down this road of making a couple mistakes get you benched, you better activate a lot more offensive linemen based off what I saw in that game last week because a lot of those guys need to get taken out as well because they were not good. Uh, All right, Buck, what do we got here for your next takeaway? The Cleveland Browns are for real. From the Cleveland 46, second down seven, takes the snap, play action fake. He's back. He's going to get hit. It's up in the air, and it's picked off. Taki Taki's got it down the sideline, 25, 20. 10. You know, when I when I look at the Cleveland Browns, it reminds me of my old coach, Marty Schottenheimer, who started with the Cleveland Browns. And the Browns play Marty ball. Basically, they run the ball, they play good defense, and that gives them a chance each and every week. Nick Chubb having a 100-yard game. Kareem Hunt didn't put up big numbers, but he is someone that you always have to think about on the ground. And this defense being able to get two interceptions off Carson Wentz, they've been able to make plays. And when I just look at this team, I'm beginning to think, they're going to be a hard out down the stretch because their ability to control the line of scrimmage, to run the football with two running backs that are number one running backs gives them a chance. And as long as Baker Mayfield takes care of the ball and stays in his lane, this is a team that is really, really tough to beat because they always can take you into the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, a couple of things that I'm wondering, uh, by the way, DJ, are, are you ready to pull the plug on, on Carson Wentz? Do you want to, is it, is it time? Is it time? <laughs> Are you time to go to the bed? Or is that not okay? All right, I just want to check. I've got a lot of thoughts on that, Rep, but I won't let you get your point out of the way before I get there. All right. Uh, so, look, 
here's here's what I thought. Uh, I think I'm with you on the Browns. It, it feels like they are at least more for real than any other Browns team we've seen in the last decade plus. I, I'll give you that. They haven't had to rely on the pass game as much since the what the five touchdown game for Baker, the game that OBJ went down. Uh, but that was against the you know that's against a not a not so great Bengals team. But the good news is that they can win those games where they don't have to because that run game is so good. And in those three, they've had three consecutive bad weather games. And in those games, you want to be able to rely on Chubb and Hunt and that whole crew up front as well for Cleveland. And they're able to do that. So I think that that bodes well for them moving forward. Uh, And DJ, to get into your points here on Carson Wentz, I'll just say this just to give the folks out there if they haven't heard what Doug Peterson said. I mean, he has been peppered constantly about his thoughts regarding benching Carson Wentz every game after every game on the Monday after every game every day it's are you considering benching Carson Wentz this was his latest I think he kind of went more in depth on it this week than he had in the past he said you're sending the wrong message that your season is over we have to work through this to your point here DJ Uh, when times get tough (laughs) that might be the easy thing to do talking about benching Carson so I, I don't know. I just know it's not working right now. All right, let me give you uh, let me give you a number because I just looked this up on <clears throat> on NFL.com. I was curious, and it, it's right here. So we we'd all agree we've seen a lot of the Cincinnati Bengals this year, right? And Joe Burrow, unfortunate, unfortunate injury, loss for the year, torn ACL. And I know we've had these conversations, Buck. I know we've had them. Which is, man, I hate to say it, but it almost feels like it's only a matter of time before Joe Burrow is going to get hurt playing behind this offensive line and and just getting mm-hmm. the tar beat out of him on a weekly basis. The Bengals have been sacked 36 times, second most in the NFL. Philadelphia Eagles have been sacked 40 times. So put into perspective what Joe Burrow is playing behind, the Eagles has been worse. Now, I know they've had injuries, but Jason Peters, I was around JP. He is a Hall of Famer. He's had an unbelievable career. He can't play anymore. He can't. I mean, he had no shot in that game, completely overmatched against Olivier Vernon and Claiborne, all the guys they threw at him. So you had Carson Wentz under heavy pressure. Carson Wentz is not playing well. I can, I've talked about him fundamentally. I've talked about, I think, some of the confidence is a little bit shaken there. But I, I'm, almost, I'm almost just looking at 2020 and saying, okay, he's not going anywhere in 21. You look at the finances, he's not. He's going to be back there next year. So they've got to figure out a way to get that fixed with the offensive line getting healthy, bringing in some new bodies. At some point in time, you can't keep counting on guys that get hurt. So you're going to have to bring in more reinforcements along that offensive line. We'll see what happens with them in the coaching situation, but I could see them saying, okay, we've got to streamline that. There's a lot of voices in his ear. Um, I, I think he's. I think it's a... It's a doable thing. I think if you can get him better protection, I think he's got some good weapons around him if they can stay on the field. Carson Wentz can do it. We've seen it not just in 2017. We saw it last year with the way he played with all those guys. But they were competitive up front. They are not competitive at all along the offensive line right now. So I think it's easy sometimes to just say it's the quarterback, it's the quarterback, it's the quarterback. But they stink up front. I mean, they are bad up front. Yeah, I mean, I think it's collective effort. I think they have been poor in a lot of areas. You talk about up front. I think Carson Wentz is really holding on to the ball too long. And I think from a coaching standpoint, I don't believe Doug Peterson and the staff have really done a great job of putting together game plans that made the game very easy for Carson Wentz. And I know that's something that's easier said than done. But I think 
what you have to do right now, if you're the Philadelphia Eagles, I think everyone has to get together and say, how can we make the game as easy as possible for the quarterback? Can we streamline what we're doing? Can we cut down the volume that we have on the play sheet? Can we ask Carson for a, just give me your 10 best plays and we'll run these suckers over and over again and I'll dress them up with motions (laughs) and all of this other stuff because that's what they did years ago with Nick Foles. At some point, you have to make the game as easy as possible for him because as DJ pointed out, he does not have a lot of confidence and you got to build that confidence up. And if you do take him out, what is the upside? You take him out. DJ talked about the financial. He's going to be your quarterback next year. There's no benefit to taking him out. You got to figure out how to work through this rough moment. And you're still number one in the division. So <laughs> you got to figure it out. Like you you got to figure it out. Every team in the division sitting there at the same number of wins in the win column. Wow. Three. Every team with a shot at it. Uh, Carson Wentz, by the way, the only quarterback this year that has started every game that is yet to achieve a 100-plus passer rating. Wow. Yeah. Not great. All right, I'll get us to the last ahead, uh, uh, six takeaway here. And that's the fact that in one of the best games of the day, we are again going to hear from the Colts and the Packers when it's all said and done. A 39-yard field goal from Blankenship to give the Colts the win out of the hold of Sanchez. Luke Rose to snap it. Here's a snap. Ball's down. Kick is on the way, and it is. It's through. It's through. It went in. It went in, and the Colts win it. A walk-off winner for Rodrigo Blankenship. The Colts win 34-31 in overtime. Yeah, they were pretty fired up after that one, and rightly so. It's a big win over a team that came in, I think, top seed in the NFC in the Green Bay Packers. Jim Irsay so fired up the Colts owner. He got on the post-game Zoom conference, I think a little um, uh, uh, unprompted, I think a little improv there. He gets on and he says it's the most exciting win they've ever had at Lucas Oil Stadium and the best defense that he's seen from the Colts since 1995 when they made a run uh, to Super Bowl that year. So, look, it was it was definitely one of the best games of the day. And I'll say this. I think there are good things from both teams and I think there are, team, there are things about this game that leads you to believe that both of these teams are going to have a say when the postseason begins uh, in January. Packers scored 28 in the first half against one of the best defenses in football. Then that defense turns it around in the second half and didn't allow the Packers to score another point until the last drive when the Packers had to drive down and get a field goal to send it to overtime. Um, so the turnaround and then the turnover – by the Colts defense in overtime to set things up, force that Marquez Valdez-Scantling uh, fumble to set up the, the game winner from Blankenship was huge. It just showed you how that defense kind of took some shots early, figured it out, made the necessary plays that you'd expect from a unit like that with that kind of ranking uh, to help their team get a win. Julian Blackman continues to impress me uh, this year. The Colts safety, man, that dude is that dude has made some a lot plays of for this team. You know what I mean? Um, and then, look, I, I think um, the Packers defense got some pressure on Rivers and the other side of the ball just wasn't, wasn't quite enough. Uh, but I think there are good things from each side of the ball in this game. And uh, I'm excited to see these, uh, these two teams uh, continue on down the stretch end of the postseason. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited about the Colts defense. Um, I think it's a bit of a deja vu factor because this defense that they're playing is Tony Dungy's defense. And when you look at Matt Eberflus and you look at his centers of influence, he will count – Tony Dungy and Rod Marinelli. And I think what they've done is they've taken a really good scheme and they've got the perfect personnel for it. DeForest Buckner up front is 
worth every penny that they got that they're paying him. $21 million. He's a dominant player up front. Darius Leonard doing things at the second level. This secondary doing a great job of playing this vision and break defense. And what DJ always talks about on the podcast shows up when I look at this team. Fast teams force turnovers. And they are the fastest defense, one of the fastest defenses that I've seen in the National Football League. It is not a coincidence that they knock the ball loose because, man, they play with great effort, but they are so athletic that they just make things happen because they overwhelm you with their speed. Yeah, last thing to cap it off here. You guys nailed all the points here. To me, the last thing is they went out and made the move in the offseason, paid Phillip Rivers $25 million because they knew they would find themselves in some games that would, would make their way into the 30s. Even with this great defense the Colts had, this game was in the 30s. You needed some firepower offensively to win a game like this. So for, for the turnovers and some of the issues that are going to come along with Phillip Rivers, he gives you a chance in games like this, and you can't win a championship unless – you can find your way to win some of these games that end up north of 30. And I think this game was a great example of why Chris Ballard, hey, tip of the cap, took a chance there, went out and brought in Phillip Rivers, and so far, it's working. All right, let's keep it moving here. Let's get to number seven on the takeaway list, and that is the Pittsburgh Steelers swallow another rookie quarterback. Second down nine for the Jags at the 11 of the Steelers. Shotgun snap, looting back, big rush, batted into the air, and the pass is intercepted. Minka has it at the 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. And he's knocked down by Robinson as he gets out over the 35-yard line near the 40. It was tipped over the middle of the field. Yeah, we saw the, the Pittsburgh Steelers kind of welcome Joe Burrow to the division with the way they got after him. And that was the first overall pick. You figure with a six-round pick in Jake Luton, it was going to be a tough sledding for him and this Jacksonville team that's still very much in the mix for the number one overall pick. But, Bucky, I think of you every time when we talk about it, right? Tips and overthrows. Uh, who takes advantage of more tips and overthrows than the Pittsburgh Steelers? Oh, they do such a good job of creating pressure. And they were getting after Luton. He, he just was overwhelming. What you could see is that the game was too fast for him. And as the game sped up with T.J. White and Bud Dupree bearing down on him, man, he was just throwing these Aaron tosses. And Minka Fitzpatrick is everything that we thought he would be coming out of Alabama. He just has a nose for the ball. He continues to make plays. And because of that, this defense is outstanding, airtight. They do a great job of creating turnovers. Yeah, and here I go talking about the Steelers wide receivers again. Uh, did a little bit of digging. And that wide receiver group, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, Juju Smith-Schuster, and James Washington, they've generated over 2,000 yards from scrimmage this season. They account for nearly 60% of their team's total yards from scrimmage. That's the fourth highest percentage in football. I mean, that's the difference to me for the Steelers on offense this year is a well-rounded wide receiver core where they don't necessarily have to rely on a power run game, which they haven't been haven't been able to call on week in and week out, down in and down out, like maybe in years past. But the Steelers wide receiver core will allow them to put points on the board against the toughest of defenses because they've got guys uh, that uh, that just have different skill sets. Claypool's got 10 touchdowns on the year total. And Deontay Johnson has another 100-yard game. And then Juju just get the ball in his hands and, you know, we'll see his skill set uh, on the field. So there's just – there's so many different ways that that group can beat you. I still think that that will be one of the things that makes them uh, difficult to defend when we get closer to January. All right, Buck, get us to your next takeaway here. The Patriots just don't have enough to get it done. Cam, shotgun. Here's the snap. Here's the blitz. Newton winds away from it. Steps up. 
He wants to run. He's dragged down, flings the ball forward. It's dead. And the Texans take over on downs. The Texans send pressure. They get pressure on Newton, and that's ball game. You know, for so long, we're so used to the New England Patriots being able to do it without what we would call A-level stars. And I think it's caught, up, it's caught up with them right now. Right now, they just don't have the talent to beat, I would say, teams that are even or better than them. And a lot of it is not only the offense, because we can talk about the weapons or the lack of weapons at wide receiver, but defensively, this is not the same group. They can't get after the passer. They're having a tough time staying in coverage. And when I watch this game, Deshaun Watson was able to do whatever he wanted to do. They didn't have an answer. And even though Cam Newton had 300 yards, and that's fine, the defense let this team down. And I just don't know if Bill Belichick is going to be able to right the wrongs from the personnel issues that they have on both sides of the ball. Yeah, this, uh, look, it, this looks like a 500 football team, you know, kind of at, at best. This is an eight-win football team. And I, I think that's kind of what the expectation, all the opt-outs, um, obviously moving on at the quarterback position, there was going to be an adjustment there. So I, I think this is almost kind of what we thought. They're four and six football team kind of marching their way towards seven or eight wins. Um, that's just where they are right now. They're going to have to, they're going to have to hit in the draft. They're going to have to be a little more active in free agency. The good news is I think salary cap wise, as Bill Belichick has mentioned, uh, they'll be in a little bit better spot going forward. Uh, all right, Rhett, what's your, what's your next takeaway here? Oh man, it was a bittersweet day at FedEx field. Single receiver out to the left, Drew Sample, Burrow back to throw, from the two, loops it high downfield, oh. sleeping attempt by Boyd, broken up by Fuller. And after gaining seven yards Uh-oh. on the first play, Joe's Joe hurt. Burrow is down, Joe's hurt. and he's grabbing his left knee, oh, and he's God. in pain. Oh, God. Allen, I think, put the hit on him, and Joe Burrow released this football. Looks like Joe Burrow's in trouble. Just an awful scene. You know, they're at FedEx Field in Landover, Maryland. And for the Cincinnati Bengals, another top pick goes down with a season-ending injury. I mean, look, you go back to, gosh, you go back to Kajana Carter, right, who busted his Achilles before he even really played a regular season down. And, of course, you had Carson Palmer in the playoffs against the Steelers. And then you you go back, William Jackson, Torres Peck was the number one pick of the Bengals, missed his whole rookie year. Jonah Williams last year, and now Joe Burrow in the midst of a terrific rookie campaign goes down. Look, bad luck, but you know, I, I think there was a lot of question leading up to this game about how the Bengals were protecting uh, Joe Burrow and protecting their investment for the future. Um, they've been a little bit better along the offensive line than they were the first couple of weeks where Burrow was getting hit 12, 13, 14, 16 times a game in those first few. They've been a little bit better. But here's the thing, like even if they had protected really well and they had one of the best offensive line, that still can happen because Joe Burrow is a guy that does not take his eyes. Uh, his eyes do not come off his receivers downfield to come down to the rush. They just don't do it. He's that he has that kind of mentality. Um, you know, then that's what you love to see from a quarterback. He's not going to worry about the, the chaos happening around him in the pocket. He's going to stand tall and firm, make his throw and, um, you know, he's been one of the best at it uh, as a rookie quarterback. It's just it's it's impressive. But unfortunately, you know, like that, that is a part of this injury. And it was a, I think it was a free thing. I think there's still clearly a ton of work that has to be done for the Bengals to continue to support him up front along that offensive line, obviously. Um, but this is just another one of those tough breaks here uh, for the Bengals. And the bittersweet part of it was that we saw Alex Smith get his first win as a starter since 2018, a big one for Washington, which puts them right in the thick of things in the NFC East. Yeah, Red, it is bittersweet. But one thing that Joe Burrow can do, he can 
think about what Alex Smith has been able to overcome and endure and has come back and been a very effective player for the Washington football team. I would expect Joe Burrow to bounce back and be just as good, if not better, than he has displayed already during his rookie campaign. Yeah, I, I thought of, you know, kind of the irony there is Joe is as reckless as he can play at times as a runner and fighting for yards, extending plays. That time, just like Rhett said, just kind of posts it up in the pocket and uh, end up on your on your knee there, and that's it. So uh, very unfortunate. But I think this Bengals team knows what they need to do. Uh, Duke Tobin in that front office know in the offseason they're going to have to address that offensive line with a lot of resources. Hopefully a mixture of the draft as well as free agency, try and put a little bit of a fortress in front of them. Because I know it's not just our opinion, what we think of Joe Burrow. We, we heard it when we were talking to Dan Orlovsky. And when you talk to people around the league that are studying and playing that team, Joe Burrow's got everybody's respect and everybody's attention in the NFL. Now, let's get an offseason, get some more pieces around him, and I think the Bengals have a chance to be a pretty good football team. Uh, All right, final takeaway here from the game I was at, Chargers-Jets, two teams with bad records. Actually, ended up being a pretty entertaining game. Uh, Keenan Allen, zone buster. They rush five. Herbert rolls to his left, still holding the ball, goes to the end zone, caught, touchdown, Chargers! Keenan Allen, why not add a touchdown to all those catches and yards today? A nice bow on a heck of an afternoon and the third touchdown toss from Herbert. Keenan Allen's had a lot of big games in this league, but this is going to end up being the biggest when it's all said and done. Adding a touchdown here just kept working as Herbert was rolling to the left. And once Herbert saw Lamar Jackson's back, he knew he had no shot. Just put a missile right between the one and the three. Yeah, Keenan Allen, Keenan Allen putting that baby to sleep there at the end. It was ended up being a career day for him. I think it was 16 catches for Keenan Allen. And this is a team that you saw early on in the game. They tried to match up a little bit in man, and he got in the slot with our buddy uh, Ashton Davis, another former Cal Bear, a little Cal on Cal crime there, um, and he turned him inside out. And after that, I think that, that Greg Williams said, okay, we're going to play a lot of zone coverage. Um, and then Keenan Allen, we talk about him as a route runner buck. But the awareness for him to settle and, and sit in zones, I mean, he's, it, he was too savvy for a bunch of rookies out there playing zone coverage. He found holes all over the field. Yeah, he not only found holes, but Justin Herbert picked apart this defense. Um, I think you just become walk away more and more impressed with Justin Herbert. Uh, if I'm the L.A. Chargers, man, I feel great. I sleep great at night because I know I have a franchise quarterback. And everything that I am thinking about, if I'm one of the members of the front office of the coaching staff, is, man, what can we do to make life easier for Justin Herbert? Because they got a good one. And now, if you talk about either big-time running back, continue to put a fortress in front of him on that offensive line, I do know this. Whenever you see him run out the tunnel, you have a chance to walk away with a W on that day. And I think that's something that every franchise wants to be able to feel like when their franchise quarterback runs onto the field. And and last thing I'll get to, you know, for Jets fans out there, stick with it, man. I was a Detroit Lions fan (laughs) back in 2008. I've been there. I've been there at 0-10. Know what it feels like, man. It's It's not fun. But what you have to do is look towards the future because you got a couple of players out there, especially from this last draft class. Your first two picks, DJ, there's reason to be excited about Makai Becton and Denzel Mims. Am I right? Uh, No question. And Denzel Mims, to me, has been the revelation. I think this is his fourth game. Every game you're seeing that playmaking ability. They didn't target him in the first half, which is bizarre to me. Not trying to get your best player the ball, but I really think he is already their best receiver. I think he's at worst a really good two who's got a chance skill set wise at his size, speed, ball skills, all those things. He's got a chance to be a number one receiver. So uh, you look at all the draft capital they have going forward. I think Joe Douglas has proven he knows what he's doing in that regard to be able to bring in some talent. So look, I think if you're a Jets fan, 
Buck, I'll give you the last word on this one, but it's kind of exactly what you want, right? You, you end the day with a, you still got the number one overall pick, but you end the day with Just a little hope. You saw some of your young guys play get well. One win. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like a preseason game. I want to play well enough, but I don't really care about the result. And so they're playing well <laughs> enough where the guys are developing, they're doing some of those things, and they're still very, very firmly entrenched as the number one pick in next year's draft, which is what you want because you may have to get a chance to get an, an upgraded quarterback. Last thing as we leave here, just one question for Rhett. So just so I'm sure now, if, if Herbert doesn't play well in the first quarter next week, are we should we put in Tyrod Taylor because that's what you do to try get to get him out of here? Is that what we're doing? Get, I mean, like, <laughs> gotta go. You're still you're not <laughs> mathematically go. eliminated yet. If that's going to give you the best chance to win a football game, get him out of here. Oh, you're the best. This was fun today, man. We got a little spirited conversation uh, on the show. It's been a fun takeaway show, Buck, as we look towards the coming week. It's Thanksgiving. A lot to be thankful for, including a great game on Turkey Day. Yeah, great game. You talk about an AFC North rivalry, one that you've been involved in. The Pittsburgh Steelers, the Baltimore Ravens. We understand how both of these teams go about their business, physical, aggressive, nasty teams. And with the Pittsburgh Steelers being at the top of the division, the Baltimore Ravens needing to close ground. This is one that will be must-see TV, and I can't think of a better way to spend a holiday than watching these two teams go at it. Yeah, I get some turkey in your belly and, and uh, get a nice little <laughs> triple header of football. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, all right, lots to look forward to. Appreciate you guys hanging with us today. A reminder, you can check out the Move the Sticks podcast uh, wherever you download podcasts. Just pump in Move the Sticks. You'll find us on there. All of our video content, nfl.com slash mtsvideo. You can check out the podcast YouTube page. That's uh, youtube.com slash nfl podcast uh that's gonna do it for us today he's bucky brooks i'm daniel jeremiah we'll see you next time right here on move the sticks presented by zaxby's You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They are working together in Slack. 
Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 